Welcome to the Table for One podcast, a podcast for those of you who are cooking for one. You'll find interviews with people who are cooking for one, nutrition tips, cooking tricks, and other practical topics for all my single listeners, and all without the mention of dieting or restriction because, well, dieting just kind of sucks. So join me as I explore the realities, the challenges, and highlight the joys of cooking for one in this busy world. I'm so excited to announce today's episode. I will be speaking with Rachel Larkey, who is a community-based dietitian in Brooklyn, New York. We're going to be talking all about intuitive eating and a little bit about health at every size because the two go so well together. But Rachel is a dietitian who provides affordable and accessible nutrition counseling at a federally qualified healthcare center in Williamsburg. She uses a health at every size and intuitive eating aligned approach in her counseling and feels passionately that there's there's no such thing as good or bad food. She's currently in school part-time for her master's degree and re- is writing a thesis on the barriers that dietitians face when trying to implement health at every size and intuitive eating in community settings. And she likes to hike all over the world and will stop to pet every dog that crosses her path. And you can find her at Rachel Larky RD on Instagram. And I will include that link in the show notes. And then I also have a quick breakdown of all of the different topics that we have and the times that it is in the podcast. So feel free to listen to just parts if you have to, and I hope you enjoy this. It's, I, it's a conversation that I really liked having. Hi, Rachel. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm excited to talk to you about intuitive eating. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start. Um, I always ask the people I interview about your eating experiences with food or cooking at your house growing up. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So growing up, my mom cooked pretty much every day. I would say she's an awesome cook. Um, and my dad likes to joke that she kind of learned how to cook while they were together. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't always the best. Cooking, but I always thought it was amazing, um, and I didn't really, I didn't really cook too much or help her because I was a, one of those kids who was out most of the time until it was time for dinner, playing outside. So I didn't learn that much about cooking until I was kind of on my own. But I really think that her cooking so much and including all different types of foods and trying new things that definitely inspires me now because I love to cook now. That's awesome. I I think I would describe my growing up really similarly to that. Um, kind of the same thing. My mom's an awesome cook, but I think she's better since my sister and I moved out than she was when we were growing up. And that she wasn't bad by any means, but she's a lot more, I don't know, I feel like um, like food and cooking traditions are more global now than they were. Do you feel, I mean, I don't, have you noticed that as you've gotten like past living at home age? You know, I mean, definitely. I, I think also I'm biased because I'm in New York. So everything's global infusion and it, it, it's not that strange to see so many different types of cuisines, even on the same block and, and cooked in people's homes. But my mom was always a very adventurous chef. So she was always cooking stuff from all over the place. And she liked do what she called experiments uh-huh. where she would like replace she would replace ingredients for things and as a kid I really didn't like that so much uh, but as an adult I can really appreciate it 
That's so interesting. I feel like I would describe my cooking that way, and it's more because I um, don't want to go to the grocery store and buy, like, one little yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably what it was, but sometimes we, she would have, like, cornflake crusted salmon, and as a kid I was like, what is this? No way. <laughs> that's so funny. It's, it's interesting. So is that, is that a dish that you really like now, or how do you feel about that dish now? I mean, I think I would love it now, honestly, but I haven't really tried. I think maybe it scarred me as a kid, putting <laughs> breakfast cereal on fish. So I maybe haven't tried it since. But I remember telling her, like, any time a friend would come over, I'd be like, don't do any experiments today. <laughs> That's so funny. I feel like, so um, my I grew up in, in Washington, and we didn't have any family around. But for one year, my um, dad's cousin and his family moved, and they're, like, like blocks away from us. It was really fun. But um, his wife made this pesto pasta salad, and my mom, like, absolutely loved it. And no, I've never eaten something so often, and I hate it. was kind of that same way, like, Mom, don't make that pasta salad. I'm so tired of it. And it is. It's interesting how kind of those feelings get into our – how we interpret those foods. Totally. That's so, that's so funny. So let's kind of, um, fast forward a little bit. Tell me about how you got into being interested in intuitive eating and, um, and why? Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I always practiced nutrition in a way that I hope was very kind of inclusive and didn't really restrict foods just because it didn't ring that true to me, but I still, I still would practice kind of with what the general recommendations are, you know, eat less of this, uh, try these foods instead. And I was just finding that it wasn't really resonating with, with my patients all that much. And it felt disingenuous to tell someone to eat less rice. And most of my patients are coming from cultures where rice is a huge staple and that didn't feel right to me. And I don't know exactly when I discovered intuitive eating, but I do remember like reading about it on the Instagrams of other dietitians and just being like, whoa, this is something. Um, and the more I read about it, you know, I read intuitive eating by uh, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch and just was reading it. And it was like having an epiphany. I was like, this, this is it. This is what, this is what food is supposed to be like. And after that, you know, the rest is history, then I couldn't do anything else. Right. It kind of, it, it just changes the way that you think about things. And yeah, I feel the same way. Like you can't, you, you can't go back. <laughs> no, it's just so much more freeing and so much happier. And just watching people have a good relationship with food is far more fulfilling than I think anything else that I've seen in practice. Yeah, yeah. So you really got introduced to intuitive eating as a dietitian, so it wasn't in school or any any time before then? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I remember the exact moment someone mentioned it to me for the first time, and I totally ignored it and didn't think about it again for like four more years. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was, in, I was in college, and I was doing, I was in like the student ambassador program at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and we went on a trip. And I remember we were eating at this fancy restaurant and I looked at one of the other students and she wasn't finishing her food. And I was like, oh my God, are you okay? We're at this fancy restaurant. Let's make it count. She was like, no, I, I practice intuitive eating. I'm not that hungry right now. And I was like full on 
like this is free food. This girl's insane. <laughs> That's such a college mentality, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was definitely a, a a time of famine for me financially. So I was like, let me load up. But it always stayed in the back of my mind. And when I discovered it later on from other dietitians as a dietitian, I do think back to that. I'm like, man, she was really on to something way before the rest of us were. Oh, that's so interesting. And that's interesting that that was your first introduction to it. Because I feel like at least a lot of people that I talked to, (laughs) theirs were more similar to mine, which was I was in a class in college and I maybe intro to dietetics. I honestly don't know. But one of, I think it was the guest speaker, you know, said, oh, there's this book, Intuitive Eating. And something that they said, and they didn't talk about it very long, got me to buy it. And I did. I bought it right then and then read it and didn't really think much of it after then. But yeah, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's just such a freeing way to live. And it's just, it's, yeah, I don't, I can't, I can't, I just can't see the world in any other way, which is good for me. Totally agree. Yeah. So with that said, can you briefly explain intuitive eating. So if somebody um, is listening to this that's never heard about it before or maybe has heard the term but doesn't really know what it means, how, how would you describe it to them? Totally. So I think the best way I would describe it is it's the complete opposite of most of what we've been taught about food and our bodies. Like we've been taught that we can't be trusted around certain foods that we have to eat a certain way to achieve whatever health means. And I think intuitive eating is the perfect opposite. It's learning how to integrate the feelings and sensations and thoughts that you have with things that you know about food and parts of your life that kind of require you to do certain things. It's a real holistic look at health. You get to take into account your emotions, your physical sensations, the convenience of things, and it really takes away any of the guilt and shame that you have around food so that you can pursue whatever health means to you. Ah, that's I that's such a concise way to describe it. I really like that because it's so all encompassing. Like you talk about, you know, re- removing those expectations and guilt and shame, but then you finished it off by talking about health, and I think that's one of the common criticisms by people who honestly Mm -hmm. don't understand what intuitive eating really is. And it's, you know, like, oh, well, you can eat anything. Well, then you're going to eat what, you know, blah, 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 whatever this scary, horrible food is. And that's not the case at all. It does take into account health, but it's looking at it through like nourishing your body instead of like through a lens of fear or punishment is kind of how I totally do. And it lets you decide for yourself what health looks like so that you get to work on goals that feel good for you. Like for some people, health is not going to be eating vegetables every single day because it's not affordable and stress about money is, is worse for your health than not eating a vegetable every day. And so it's nice that it allows you to really take into account what it actually means for you instead of the health that you might feel that you owe the world or your doctor or your family or diet culture. Yeah, it's so true. I think I think that's a really powerful realization for people is to realize that when we do what we should do, um it really comes down to doing that for other people. 
Mm. And when, you know, when you eat intuitively, it's really doing it for your own benefit because nobody knows you better than yourself. And there's just so many different factors that go into it. I, I like that. Thanks for sharing. Any other, anything else that you want to talk about intuitive eating um, in general? I think the only thing I would say is a piggyback off of what you just finished with is that you're the expert of yourself. And I think intuitive eating is such a great way for you to start really feeling like the expert of yourself. And I tell that to all my patients. I say, you're the expert. You know your body best. I'm here to learn from you what that means so I can help you become an even better expert at it. Yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit more? Because I think that it sounds a little... I don't know if I know a better term, but like woo woo, that's my business coach always says that. And it, it's, it seems like it's more, it's more of like your feelings than science, but intuitive eating really, I think one simple way to think of it in practical terms is like we each have different activity levels. Our bodies are all different shapes and sizes just to begin with. We all Mm -hmm. have, you know, I mean, we think different amounts or, you know, whatever. We have different levels of stress in our lives. I'm trying to think of what we each have different histories, like family histories of diseases and conditions. And also I'm trying to think what else um, could play into your different needs. But all of those are so individualized that you couldn't sit next to somebody and eat the exact same amount and have the same, like, feeling, you know, fullness and, you know, all of those things. Um, oh, and also, you know, I mean, some people are allergic to different foods or some foods don't sit well with, with each person. And again, I mean, there's just so many different factors and saying that, oh, this is what you should be doing is not looking to that. And then it's going to leave people feeling physically worse and not getting what they need. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So if somebody, um, isn't familiar with intuitive eating, what would you, what would you recommend that they start out with? Do you have an, I kind of a general place to, to start? Yes. And I think, you know, there are some books that are kind of the, the basics of intuitive eating. And that is the book intuitive eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, who sort of, I'm not going to say invented intuitive eating because intuitive eating is just eating and they didn't invent eating but they did not invent eating but they definitely coined the, the term and sort of structured it into a way that makes it really easy to understand and that book is great but if you're not someone who likes to sit down with a longer book or you're not really someone who wants to look at a lot of you know more clinical terms there is a book by Caroline Dooner and it's got a curse in the title, so I'm not going to say it unless you want me to say it. But Oh, yeah, I keep this this clean. Again, I live in Utah, yeah. so I like to keep it. Right. <laughs> so the book by Carolyn Dooner um, is, the, I'll say, The Effort Diet. Is that okay? Yeah, totally. And it's got an asterisk on the front, so there's not a curse word even in the title. But what I, I love about her book is it breaks down the science behind intuitive eating and sort of the science behind emotional eating and and what drives us to eat in a very conversational way. She's very chatty. She's hilarious. Um, And it's a short book. It's a quick read. I think it's really personable. And so I always tell patients, especially younger patients who might identify with her tone, that that's a great place to start. And if you're not someone who even wants to sit down and read, that's totally okay. There are amazing podcasts about it. And 
we're on one right now, but also uh, Christy Harrison's podcast, Food Psych, is a fantastic resource. Um, and her episode number 127 is sort of an FAQ, a frequently asked questions about intuitive eating. And that's an awesome place to start as well. Yeah, I that's a fantastic um, one. And yeah, I haven't read that book. I, I need to. I've seen it and heard a lot about it, but I need to I need to get it. It's amazing. It's real. It's worth it for sure. But there are so many other books out there. Um, and I'm happy, you know, if anyone wants more recommendations and wants to reach out, I'm, I'm happy to provide a list. Yeah. Yeah. And you sent me one too. So I'll include that in the, in the show notes. And so people can kind of can, um, look at those and then head over and check them out too. So yeah, the nice thing is there's so many different places there. The, so I think the hard thing about intuitive eating is that, you know, there's 10 principles and you really kind of start with whatever is most pressing to you or whatever jumps out at you. There's no specific place, which is nice, but also it might confuse things a little bit. But the good thing is there's resources available with, you know, there's something that should jive with with everybody, right? Yes. And I will say it's important when you first start looking to find somebody that has credentials or some kind of training in it as your first stop, because there is a lot of, now that it's become popular, diet culture has caught on. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who use intuitive eating as a hashtag, even in conversations about weight loss, which is the antithesis of intuitive eating. And mm-hmm. I think it's important that when you go searching for this stuff, make sure someone's, you know, an insert- a certified intuitive eating counselor, or make sure that they're a dietitian, or make sure that, you know, it's not just someone co-opting the idea to sort of further diet culture's agenda. Yeah. So with that said, can we talk a little bit about some things that intuitive eating is not? Yes. Let's do that. Yeah. So So, what's, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Intuitive eating is not a diet and the, the, the guiding principles are not steps. So you don't have to work through one before you get to the next. It's just kind of, those are just concepts to help you Start and find a place to lead you in your journey. It's not really, you don't have to follow them in any particular order. It's 100% not eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. And I think that's the biggest thing I see people getting hung up about. Um, it's That is certainly part of it, honoring your hunger, honoring your fullness, listening to your body when it's hungry and when it's full. But there is absolutely no rule that says you can only eat when you're hungry and you can only stop when you're full. Uh, there's plenty of reasons that we eat past fullness or eat when we're not hungry. You know, sometimes you're going to a show and it's 4 o'clock and it's not time for dinner. You're not hungry, but you're not going to get to eat till 9. That's mm-hmm. a great reason to eat even when you're not hungry. Yeah, so true. Yeah, and I think in, another one that I see a lot is the connection with um, weight loss. Mm-hmm. And cause I, I, I worked with a client last year or a little bit longer ago and, um, you know, she, the hard thing is, is that weight loss is the desired outcome for everything for people. And I totally understand that because, you know, like you talked about diet culture, that's what we're told is important and it's just so ingrained in healthcare systems in our day to day lives any, like almost every, any kind of media that you would 
watch social media as well. And it's just everywhere. So then, you know, we're just led to believe that weight loss is the end all be all. And it's just a normal part of being human and especially being a woman. Um, Tell a little bit about, you know, kind of that not connection, I guess. Sure, sure. So you're totally right. I think we live in a world where so much value is placed on our physical appearance and there is a lot of moral value attached to weight, right? When someone gains weight, we say they've let themselves go and I'm putting that in some serious quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, and when someone loses weight, we, we compliment them even though we have no idea why they lost weight. They could be really ill, but the, the default is to compliment it. Um, and so we live in a world where, you know, so much value is, is placed on that and not just value. I mean, very real implications for people that live in larger bodies, you know, discrimination at work, in romantic relationships, in friendships, at stores. And so it's really tough in a world where that happens to, to hear someone say, you know, this isn't about weight loss. I can't promise that you will lose weight doing this. And I, and I also don't care, you know, not that I don't care, but I, I'm not concerned with what your body does size wise when this happens. We're more focused on how you feel and, you know, your lab values, if they're getting better, um, and, you know, if you're able to move a little bit more easily based on the things that we do together. And I, I know that's scary for people to hear. And so what I usually do is I ask this one question when someone says, you know, I, I need to lose weight. I always say, and what are you hoping will happen after you lose weight? What are you hoping you'll get from the weight loss? And the answer to that is usually the real thing that people are seeking. You know, if I lose weight, I'll be able to play with my kids. If I lose weight, I'll feel better in my clothes. If I lose weight, I'll fix my diabetes. And feeling good in your clothes, playing with your kids, and fixing your diabetes, we can do it any size. And that's usually where intuitive eating comes in. Let's take those goals. Let's get there in a way that takes the focus off of the changes that your body goes through because we can't control that. Your body's super smart. It knows what it's doing, and it's my job to kind of respect it and let it while we handle the things that you want handled. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. And I think, again, it's such a hard concept. It For a lot of people, I feel like it sounds good in theory, but in practice, it's just so much harder. And that's universal. Like, even for the two of us who practice this and really believe it with our whole souls, like, we have moments where it's like, oh, you know, it kind of comes back. But at the end of the day, at least what I keep coming back to is like focusing on changing my body or encouraging anybody else to change their body. It's not going to promote, it's not going to lead you to like, you know, lead a more full life. It's not going to, it's not going to help things in general. And, and it can get in the way of a lot of things as well, which, um, is not helpful, but again, it's kind of normal for a lot of us. So you just don't look into it anymore, unfortunately. Absolutely. And, you know, it's always within anybody's right to pursue health in the way that they see fit. But what I offer is an alternative to something that, that may have been causing you anguish or pain. And if it's, if it's causing you anguish and pain, it's not health. And I can definitely help you find what that might mean somewhere else. That is so, that's so good. And I think that's relatable. I think people can understand that. I I don't think I've shared it on this podcast yet, but for me, like the real 
um, tipping point for me realizing not so much for intuitive eating, but recognizing that changing your body is not a helpful place to focus your attention um, on is so I had a job a couple of years ago where I worked uh, for a wellness. Uh, I was a wellness coach essentially, and um, it was for a huge hospital organization. And every year they do this weight loss challenge, and it like we all hated it. My team hated doing it because we had to go weigh people for hours mm. each, each every couple of weeks. And um, but it was what they did, and people loved it. And so I had such a fascinating and horrible experience watching people go through this process of stepping on a scale in front of a stranger every couple weeks for a few months and seeing people who were like so excited at the beginning and then people who you know we sometimes have a little bit of small talk as they were waiting in line or as you know we we're waiting for the scale to calibrate or whatever and here are a couple things that I heard that just made me so mad and like dieting sucks because one person stood on the scale at um at one of my coworker stations and she said under her breath as she stepped on the scale you effing failure and she got uh. off and left before my coworker could even like you know put together what happened and you know i mean that's i feel like a lot of people feel that way and how is that helpful yeah. you know and again not to make light of that my heart. oh it is it's just so awful and that's something that most people would never say to a friend, you know, or something that mm -hmm. they really cared about, but we can do that to ourselves because, um, because of so many different reasons. And then a couple of experiences, like on the other end of things, I talked to a few people who were, you know, they hadn't gotten on the scale yet. And they're like, yeah, I've, you know, been moving more. I, I bring my, you know, tennis shoes to work and I go for a walk and it's nice to get outside. I really enjoy it. And then I, you know, have brought, you know, a couple of vegetables to eat during the day and they're really great snacks. I find that I enjoy them in, you know, ways that I didn't expect that I enjoyed. I loved all this stuff. They get on the scale and their weight's the exact same. They're like, well, I guess that didn't work, you know? And then just, it's almost like, oh, you know, like this, it's obviously not working, which is so not the case at all. And it, it's just, it's pushing our focus into something that, like you said, we can't control as much, but also it's, it's, I mean, it's just not helpful again. So I, yeah, it is. It's, it's just, it's hard to get out of that mindset. Absolutely. And you know, one thing to take us back to when you were saying it sounds kind of woo woo to, to, to talk about intuitive eating sometimes, the way I like to look at it from a science perspective or a medical perspective, and this is what I tell doctors even, you know, even if weight were to blame for these health issues, which I don't think there is enough research out there to, to truly say that any of this correlation means it's causing these problems. But even if it were, mm -hmm. if you look at weight loss, intentional weight loss and changing your body as a treatment method, what the research shows us is that it's only effective about 3% of the time. And we don't know how sustainable that 3% even is. So mm -hmm. it fails like 95 to 97% of the time. And it really has a, a negative effect on people's mental health, which can have effects on their physical health. And as a medical provider, why would I choose a treatment for a health issue that has a 97% fail rate with other side effects and, and implications when I could pick a treatment option that has plenty of benefits? You know, I could I could send someone to physical therapy if they're having pain. I could I could 
have people eat more fiber if they're constipated. You know, there's plenty of, of things that you can do that have nothing to do with making your body look different or losing weight that can promote health. And they tend to be more effective just when you look at the numbers. So when you mentioned that, that person talking about all these health wins and then that number means that they failed, it's just such a shame to me. Same. It, it's, it's just so sad. And, and, you know, when you're talking to somebody for two minutes, you can't have that conversation, but, right. but that is such a good point because it really, it is, it's just so much, it, there, it's so much more to that. And, um, yeah, I mean, can you imagine if, if doctors were prescribing these medications that just didn't work and then also not even that, but they have these real, like side effects that have a hugely negative, um, a, a really negative outcome for people. Like that's right, and you know, not good. All doctors, all doctors want is to help their patients, and I I know that, and I think yeah. it's when you look at the science and the studies, like intentional weight loss isn't helping many people, and in fact, it's harming a lot more people. And there's another way to do it. There totally is. Yeah. So let's jump ahead a little bit and talk about outcomes. Like what are some things that you've seen realizations, um, whatever it is that have you've seen that have been cool with clients, um, as they start to incorporate intuitive eating into their lives? Yeah. So even I use intuitive eating in some way with all of my patients, even if they're not coming to me specifically for that. And Mm -hmm. I work at a clinic where we, don't turn anyone away. So if someone's coming to me and they're not into intuitive eating, you know, I don't get to say, oh, I don't think we'd be a good fit. It's okay. I'm going to meet you wherever you're at and Mm -hmm. we'll work from there. Um, But even in my clients who are not super into intuitive eating, but we, we just kind of use some of the principles to guide what we do. I've seen people feeling so much freer in their food choices. I have one patient who is a diabetic and she came in wanting to cut out all sweets from her diet. And I mentioned, you know, I actually think that if we cut them all out, you may end up eating more of them. That's how we know that, that humans work. I mean, we've done a lot of studies on humans and we know that when we restrict something, that's usually the food that we think about most, we eat most. And so she and I worked on kind of very gently allowing that those foods back in. And eventually she came back and she said, you know, you're right. I don't really want these foods as much as I used to want them when I wasn't allowing them in the house anymore. And then her sugar, her, her blood sugar went down because she wasn't eating the foods as compulsively. It wasn't like, oh, this food is in my house. I have to eat it nonstop. My sugar goes up. It was, oh, I allow this food all the time. And right now it's not actually feeling that good. And she found that she ended up eating it less than she would have imagined before. I think that's a good all-encompassing result because I think that's, again, another criticism that people have of intuitive eating is like, oh, well, you know, I have to eat this certain way for medical conditions, which, you know, I mean, there is a lot of evidence to show that eating a certain way is going to help with certain medical conditions. But yeah, like you said, uh, restricting foods, restriction is the biggest predictor to binging. And and that would be a whole other episode on its own. But yeah. Right, right. And you know, yes, you may have to eat a certain way for this for this particular health concern. But if eating that particular way, if the way that you got there is making you really stressed or causing some kind of issue for you, it may not be helping that health problem as much as we think. And it's really more about how you get there. 
you know, if you're eating it that way and you're feeling guilty and you're feeling a lot of shame, it may not be helping you as much as it would be if we relaxed a little bit, allowed some of that scary stuff back in and see how it affected you overall. Yeah, it's an experiment is what it is. Yes, I call that with every client I see. I say, let's try an experiment. Same. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. This was such a good conversation. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to share before we're done? Um, I think the only thing that I would say, and it's been just the biggest pleasure to be able to speak to you about this. I think the thing that I would say is it's, it's okay if this stuff feels scary and it's okay to kind of poo-poo it a little bit as long as you lean into that feeling rather than run away. You know, lean into the discomfort. Figure out why it makes you uncomfortable. Maybe read something by someone who you think sounds a little bit nutty and just see, you know, see, see what happens. But it's totally okay to feel weird about something new. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's important because without being able to address those concerns that we have, we're not able to, you know, to learn anything or to find a way that's actually going to help us. And I'm not saying that intuitive eating is going to be perfect for everybody right now, but at the same time, there's a lot of good principles about it that we can each learn from. Absolutely. And even learning from something from just learning about it, I guess. Definitely. And then last question, is there, um, how can people find you? Do you have an Instagram or any? I do. Yes. You can find me on Instagram. It's just my first and last name followed by RD. So Rachel Larky RD. Um, I am definitely going to start posting more on my Instagram, kind of a grandma when it comes to social media. Um, And I I don't have a website for myself because I'm not in private practice, but if people are in the New York City area and they want intuitive eating-based care and can't afford to see a private nutritionist, the clinic that I work, we offer all sorts of um, specialties in care, including nutrition, and if for anyone who's underinsured or uninsured, we offer a lot of options, so it's really accessible care, and if someone reaches out to me on Instagram, I'm happy to, to pass that info along to them. Oh, that's awesome. That's so that's so nice, and it is, I think that's one hard thing is nutrition services are often inaccessible for people, and it's great to see that there are organizations out there that um, are making sure that that's you know, reducing that inaccessibility because, um, this is important for everybody regardless of where you are in life. Totally. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And we're actually going to continue this, a conversation and we're going to talk about cooking for one, um, in another episode next week. Okay. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a blast. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Table for One podcast with Rebecca. If you're cooking for one or know somebody who is, make sure to subscribe to the Table for One podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you can stay up to date on new episodes that will help you make cooking for one easier and more enjoyable. Feel free to continue the conversation over at in the Table for One Facebook group. You can also find recipes or work with Rebecca over at nourishnutritionblog.com 
Or honestly, the easiest way is to follow me on Instagram. My handle is Nourish Nutrico, and you can click on the link of my profile to get more great resources for cooking for one. Talk to you next week.